Hello and welcome to the NRL Dead in Goal podcast. My name is James Smith. I'm the editor of Inside Sport magazine. I'm very fortunate this week to be joined by one of the true legends of Australian sports journalism, Greg Pritchard. So let's rip straight into it. This is the Dead in Goal podcast. Enjoy. Greg, thanks very much for your time. Um, you're a busy uh, media man these days. Are you able to quickly just wrap up uh, what, what you're up to these days, mate? I'm working uh, freelance um, and have been since I left Fairfax in 2013. I took a voluntary redundancy then and just backed myself to get other work, which I've been able to do most of the time. Uh, it's always a risk when you're freelance because you can be working for an organisation and uh, yeah, on, a, on any given day they can say we no longer need you or anything and you haven't got any comeback which is uh, you know, a risk that you understand when you when you become a freelance journalist and start working for yourself but as I say I've been pretty lucky I worked uh, did about four years for Rugby League Week before it folded and um, the World Game uh, website for SBS as well writing football or yeah. soccer as uh, many other people would still call it and um more recently, I've been working for Players Voice, uh, helping sportsmen uh, put their stories together there, sportsmen and women put their stories together there, and just um, right at the moment, for a couple of months, I've been working for Racing New South Wales and Sky Racing uh, on the Autumn Carnival with a lot of Winx-related stuff and and general um, interviewing and and reporting on racing as well, which uh, I've really enjoyed. It's been fantastic, and you know, like uh, it's been a great time in racing. Obviously, with Winks coming into to the end of a great career, so to be a part of that and be able to watch it up close again, which I hadn't done with the racing for a while, has been fantastic. No, it's great, and um, many early starts for for you in that role. It have been. Uh, I've, uh, I've been going to the Winks. Uh, have a media call on the Thursday morning before each of its races and has done for several years now and um, that's always about uh, quarter past five out at Rose Hill so fortunately I'm only about 20 minutes from Rose Hill so it's uh, not too bad but um, you know, a few other functions and barrier draws and stuff like that and I was out at the uh, English sales at Warwick Farm yesterday so I had to get a move on to get out there so punching through the early morning traffic but um, to be honest I've, I've loved it all it's been fantastic as I said earlier oh, fantastic yeah, yeah. Uh, excellent and um, and um, just on, on the footy um, what have you made of 2019 so far uh, the season's certainly a lot quieter uh, news wise than, than the off season isn't it <laughs> well, that's the, that's the thing about rugby league. The, the great game never stops giving, doesn't it? They they don't actually have to play for uh, rugby league to, to fill the pages um, in the newspapers. But, of course, they'd rather be playing because that's less uh, controversial than what happens a lot of the time off the field. I mean, it's unfortunate for the league because they've, had, you know, they've worked hard on, on players and, uh, and, and helping them understand their responsibilities and trying to stamp out... Um, 
uh, poor behaviour, which really only comes from a small percentage of players anyway, but sometimes things get away from them and they have to get on top of it again. And that, and that was obviously one of those off-seasons that's, that's presented them with a lot of challenges um, that they're still facing at the moment with uh, still a few court cases and, and, and things like that to be uh, seen out. But it, as far as on the field goes, it's certainly been an interesting start to the season. Um, the storm have begun like they always seem to begin, just so well prepared and ready to win straight away. And if you're not, um, if you're only travelling at 90% yourself as an opponent to them, you're just going to be losing. And the Roosters look very good as well. Uh, South Sydney looked great in the first couple of rounds. They've come back to the field a little bit. And um, Parramatta's been been really good as well. They've only lost to the Roosters. I mean, and the Roosters are clearly the benchmark. So. It's it's interesting. I mean, we're looking for a bit more from a few other teams. Pen- Penrith got out of jail in the last minute against the, the Tigers in their in their last game, uh, and I, you know it's not convincing yet. We've got to see more from them, but I'm sure there's going to be a lot of twists and turns before we even get the halfway through the season, <laughs> let alone to the end. Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask ask this later on, but uh, I'll ask it now. Um, who's your team? Who, who do you follow? Oh, look, I don't really follow a team. I've, I've, okay. I found, um, like a lot of people do in the media, that it's a lot easier if you don't follow a team. Um, <laughs> it certainly is. Life's a lot easier if you don't follow one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. And it's, you, know, you don't want to be con- uh, accused of favouritism or anything like that. Look, I, I, I will admit the one thing, though. When I was um, back in the early, late 80s, early 90s, I had a fair bit to do with, with Penrith, um, working for the Daily Mirror as I was then, but also putting together a book on their history with uh, another uh, well-known journalist called Gary Lester. So I think that came out the year after they won the comp, and um, I was just very friendly with uh, a lot of the players out there, um, uh, people like uh, Greg Alexander and Brad Izzard and and Mark Guyer at the time. They were just all good good blokes, and I'd see a bit of them outside of... uh, the football as well and and you know i've kept mates um with uh, friendly with a lot of those players um from from back then always get on well with them when i see him i speak to greg alexander on the phone a fair bit even uh, not necessarily for stories or anything just have a joke and i'll send him a text every now <laughs> and then to, yeah. to take the uh, you know what out of him but um <laughs> so i guess I, you could say i got a soft spot for penrith but it really it really goes back to when those sort of guys were involved um mm. I, I, you know, I can honestly say i'm not uh, sitting on the edge of my seat following any particular team these days oh that's that's fair enough and uh, so so where does your story start like where, where do you where did you grow up and and was there an interest in sport for you uh, very on um, early on in your life well i grew up in the western suburbs of sydney at, at yeah. chester hill um, oh, for, yeah. those, for those who don't know what it's uh, probably halfway between Parramatta and bankstown in a straight line out near uh, granville not not far from auburn which is where i actually went to school at uh, bendig maris brothers at Auburn, it was uh, just a boys' school. Then I think it went uh, co-ed a couple of years after I left. Uh, unfortunately, this <laughs> <laughs> should have been co-ed before that because I didn't know how to talk to a girl until <laughs> I left school. But, um, when I was uh, when I was growing up, uh, I played uh, soccer. Um, I played a little bit of league just uh, in, the, in the muck around. I think we called it in the colour comps at school then. If you, know, if you weren't representing the school yeah. and you wanted to play league at sport, you, you, you know, we had four teams, blue, yellow, red, green, whatever, and played colour comp every Thursday and, and beat the hell out of everyone, each other that way. Right. But, um, on, on a weekend and uh, just 
you know, regularly I was playing soccer uh, out at uh, Regent Park, which is you know, just a couple of miles from Chester Hill as well. And all my mates um, who lived nearby were playing there as well. And to be honest, I've been I've played it all my life. Um, yeah. I'm not playing this year. I don't think I'll be playing this year because it's just getting a bit hard on the body. But uh, I've been playing over 35s and 45s for the last 15 years as well out here at um, Glenhaven, yeah. uh, which is just nearby Castle Hill. Um, I'd play forever if I could. I yeah. love it. Oh, isn't that great? And and so, how did you get your start in journalism? Um, how old were you at the time? Well, I went to year twelve at uh, the school I was talking about at Auburn. Yep. Um, probably a few years before that, um, you could still get into the into the newspapers by leaving at the end of year ten. But it was just at a time when it was shifting in terms of um, you know what they wanted from people who were applying for jobs there. And, and which was fine with me. I had no problem going to year 12 anyway. So I've left um, uh, at the end of year 12 and I've applied for jobs at News Limited and Fairfax. And um, I got an interview at Fairfax, but I didn't get a job. Hmm. And uh, I got in at News Limited as a copy boy. Um, and I started in January uh, 77. So, you know, a couple of months after I left school. And, you know, newspapers were obviously vastly different then I mean writing was something I was always interested in I was always uh, good at English at school and uh, some other subjects I weren't so good in like <laughs> mathematics and, and science and things like those I was I was more about writing than uh, than that um, sort of thing and um, when I started there as I say this, this is uh, going way back um, in time at, at newspapers when everyone you know used typewriters and they had what we called the shoot where you'd, you know like the stories were subbed by hand by the sub-editors and we'd, we'd send the copies of the stories downstairs in the chute where um, you'd, you'd put them in this air-compressed air sort of uh, machine that just sucked them straight downstairs for them to be dealt with down there where everything was done on the, on the stone, you know. It was uh, like you see, in, the, like you see in, the, in all the president's men with the, with the presses and everything else, you know. That's how it was back then and then... And it was a magnificent era in newspapers as well. I was so lucky to be involved in it. Like um, I was a copy boy at the Mirror, Daily Mirror, on the news desk for a while there with a few other guys, and we had people writing there, like Jack Darmody and uh, Mike Munro and Col Allen and uh, all these other guys, and uh, people like Roy Miller and John Hardigan were editors and news editors. So I had a you know great schooling from people who really knew what they were doing in, in this business and I remember that uh, you're probably going to ask me what the, what was the first big story I, I was sort of there for it was, um, I was we were in there at the mirror you know sitting around the, the copy desk me and the other copy boys at uh, about 7 in the morning one, one day during the week you know waiting for the next um, call to do something uh, run around for someone and um, I you know, there was a big kerfuffle in the office because it had come through on the on the fax machine or the teleprinter from overseas that Elvis had was dead, yeah. um, which was about August, I think, in 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 that year. So you can mass you can imagine how massive uh, a deal that was um, for a, a newspaper that's um, in the middle of uh, deadline sort of thing uh, mm -hmm. in, at that time of the morning and and with four editions all day like we had at the Mirror. Uh, obviously, that was a, a, a hugely busy day because um, of you know Elvis, obviously being one of the biggest figures in entertainment uh, and beyond that in the world, and 
dying in the, in the manner that he did. Certainly, um, it made for a, a very busy day. Jeez, yeah, it's a real time stamp, isn't it? That story it, put, it places you yeah. exactly, yeah, what was happening in the world. That that's a great story. Gosh, it, and um, so what was um, when did you uh, when did you begin working the rugby league beat? Like, were you thrown straight into it, or were you given stuff like police rounds to do first up for the paper, or how did that work? Well, I think um, I actually got a, a, a after I was a copy boy in the mirror for a while they, they tended to move the copy boys and copy girls as, as we were called um, <laughs> around back then to experience different newspapers and different sections and whatever and I ended up on uh, uh, the Australian newspaper on sport there cool. and uh, I actually got a cadetship there so that's where I started uh, and I was a football writer as in soccer yep. um, for a while there and, and you know, did the occasional league story but I was really covering the soccer and then um, further as part of my cadetship I went back to the mirror um, working in the news section of the paper um, you know chasing uh, ambulances and uh, doing death knocks as we called them then where uh, you know if, if someone was killed or, or whatever like, and it was a major sort of story or, or very interesting human interest story or whatever we'd have to go to you know, someone's house at uh, 6.30 in the morning and knock on the door and ask them if they would you know, were prepared to talk to us about having just lost a loved one or something like that. I remember, I remember having to go and knock on someone's door at that time in the morning after their uh, son had been uh, knocked over and killed by a car you know, after running out from in front of a, an ice cream van, that sort of thing. I mean... They're called death knocks for a reason. They're not. Um, they're not much fun, but it was uh, something we did, and, and I'm sure it's something they still do. It's just one of those jobs you have to do, and you have to try to be sensitive about it, and um, you know, like try to find the right way to get people to talk to you about um, distressing times. And you know, a lot of people, obviously, in a situation like that, they as, as devastated as they are, they want to. They want to do something. They want to say how much you know the person who's gone is as meant to them and, and things like that. So that's how you know they would tend to end up talking to you in circumstances like that. But obviously, you had to approach it the right way, and it was only one way, and that's to be very sensitive about it. Yeah, um, a, a role like that would have made you grow up pretty quickly, wouldn't it? Like, like you know. well, it certainly puts you under under pressure to, yeah. to act the right way and and to um, you know treat people correctly if you want to get the right result from them uh, in a circumstance like that and, and uh, I mean it's all about respect really I mean you, you, you wouldn't you wouldn't um, blink if you know, or you wouldn't be surprised rather if someone just shoved the door shut in your face in a situation like that because you know like uh, everyone's going to react in a different way so you got to it's a job you have to do sometimes or you have to you know certainly I had to do it and I know and many many others have had to do it that I worked with and who, who did it before and who've done it since but it's just uh, part of the game yeah yeah no um, thanks for sharing that and uh, so along the way we're talking um your new about your newspaper career but you've also you've dabbled in pretty much everything um including radio a lot of people my vintage grew up with uh, with your voice um on the sidelines and things like that um is, is that something that you think about returning to um you radio uh, part of your career <laughs> Mate, I'm always available, but I think, <laughs> uh, I think the younger brigade of uh, 
I've taken over there, so I'm not yeah. expecting a call-up any stage soon. Yeah, I, <laughs> I ended up doing a lot of sideline eye work in, in rugby league for a couple of a couple of radio stations in in the end, and um, that was after I, I I continued to do that other work just in general news and yeah. and and, uh, and everything for the Mirror, and uh, and got switched to sport where I was uh, doing a bit of rugby league, but I actually covered the Swans for a few years as well when. Uh, Dr. Edelston uh, was <laughs> the owner there. Those were interesting times. Were um, capper in et cetera? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I remember going out to Capper's uh, place one morning um, because we got the tip that he was uh, going to re-sign with the Swans right at the height of his career. He lived down at Sylvania or something, so <laughs> we're down there getting pictures of him in the backyard and talking to him, and we wrote the story, which was run on the front page, and I'm, I'm re-signing, I'm staying at Swans, yeah. and something went wrong in the next couple of days, and he ended up leaving the Swans, I think, for the Brisbane Bears, I think they were called. <laughs> so, for all intent, we'd done everything right. He'd, uh, he told us he was... Uh, he was he was going to stay, and obviously he was at that stage. But something dramatic happened um, <laughs> after that. There must have been something with the negotiations that uh, didn't go right at the last minute, and he ended up leaving <laughs> anyway. But uh, all you can do is your best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, so, what were your main memories of, of radio? Like, were, were you always a sideline eye? Um, that, that's where my memories of you are. Yeah. Sideline eye, uh, Greg Pritchard for Lotto. That, that's um, that, yeah. that was that was the catch cry, wasn't it? And then you. Um, do your best on, on the sideline. You yeah. must have seen some interesting sights down there over the years. Yeah. Well, you got a better memory than, memory than me. I can't remember who the sponsors were. But <laughs> yeah, I'll take your word for it. But, yeah um, I'm a little bit yeah. sick that way. So, <laughs> so I was working. Um, I was doing league rotting league for the Mirror in the second half of the 1980s with Peter Falingos and Ian Hansen, yeah. Tony Adams, uh, John Blunt, Tim yeah. Prentice. It was a really great team and a really great time and. Um, so it just uh, it, it, it was an offshoot of that, and um, mm. uh, back back at a time as well when you know it's unfortunate for a lot of the journos coming through now that they can't get into the dressing room in the way that we could in the old days. You know, like if all the journos were allowed into the rooms pretty much straight away after the game, so you're able to talk to players before they you know had a chance to compose themselves too much. They were, they were a lot more raw and a lot more honest in what they would say under circumstances like that I mean, obviously there's a lot more media these days and the game's uh, a professional and everything so it's gone a long way in the opposite direction in terms of accessibility of players and particularly straight after games I mean you've got no other getting in the dressing room that way anymore you've got to wait for players to be brought out to you and sometimes they you know if they don't want to talk they they don't talk or whatever back then we could uh, get in and, and, and talk to them um, I'm sure it can be brought back a bit the other way I mean you know we all see Film from after games in the, in the US, in the NBA, and in uh, the yeah. NFL, where there's a bunch of journos standing around the player in in the dressing room. Um, yeah. it, so obviously, it's not impossible that it that it uh, can't still be done, but uh, it's it's not um, it's not like that at the moment uh, out here. I, I hope it changes for those guys coming through. I've forgotten what you actually asked me in the first place. Now I think it was about uh, some of the stories. I was, uh, some of the things I saw on the sideline, wasn't it? That's that's what you were talking about earlier. It, 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 it doesn't really matter. What you were saying was gold anyway. So, the good thing about working on the sideline, and, and that was another part of it, that the accessibility and being able to get in there and sit next to the players in the rooms after them with the microphone and interview them when you know when they're 
like I say, when hmm. they still haven't really cooled down from the game and they're talking to you honestly, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. I remember I was at um, the footy stadium, uh, Allianz, um, obviously it's getting knocked down at the moment, um, yeah. on that night, that famous origin night when uh, MG and, and King Wally uh, stood up to each other and, and it almost, you know, <laughs> it almost went crazy out there in, in the rain after MG had put a late hit on uh, Paul Hopp, I think his name was, the fullback, um, or a high hit rather, on the fullback from, from Queensland and Wally obviously stuck up for him and Benny Elias was in the middle of it and everything and I think it was the same game where Michael O'Connor ended up kicking the conversion from the sideline to win the game in pouring rain. I hope I haven't got that wrong. I think it was fourth in the same game, but definitely all of those things happened. And I mean, yeah. I'm only sitting metres away. You know? yeah. Like there's, yeah. there's no better seat. Like it, it, it's always great, obviously, to watch a game in a, in a in a great grandstand seat. And these new grounds we're getting in in Sydney, like the one at Parramatta and the ones that will you know eventually be built um, at, at uh, in place of Allianz, they're they're all in the style. They're all going to be in the style of, of the the new stadiums in in you know that we've seen in the last twenty years in the US and Suncorp Stadium, for instance, in Brisbane, which is just a, a brilliant stadium. They 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 go pretty much straight up, you know mm. what I mean, as as opposed to push out in terms of the seating, you know, like and yeah. basically there's not a bad seat in the house, and 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 that's um, that's going to be fantastic for for league and for every other game that's going to be played at those stadiums but one of the one of the um <laughs> probably the only time i ever felt sick <laughs> on the sideline uh during a game was in the 1993 grand final when saints were playing brisbane and jason stevens was playing for st george so i mean you, the thing on the sideline is you always got a close-up look at the injuries and and because you know, you're trying to uh, you're trying to find out what's wrong with them and, and what you know what it's going to mean for the game or whatever and jason stevens came off the field holding his thumb and um, so I'm standing, uh, you know, I'll, rush, I'll run over myself when the, with the trainers and doctor is, is standing with him on the sideline and his thumb was uh, just bent right back and the bone was sticking out of the, of the thumb because he had a compound fracture of the thumb. I'd, I'd never <laughs> seen anything like that. I did say thought I was going to vomit for a minute because it was pretty ugly. Oh um, obviously, he didn't manage to uh, go back on in that game. But yeah, as I say, <laughs> you, you see... You see things like that um, close up, and and that's that's all. It's all part of the attraction, really, of, of being able to get that close to the game. It, it's uh, it's it's raw and it's um, you know immediate, and it's you know it's brilliant when you're able to cover it that way. Oh, best seat in the house, yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And um, uh, people listening to this um, will be urging me to ask you. Um, about the the biggest story to have ever happened in rugby league, and that was Super League. Um, are, are you able to just share what role you played in that, as far as news news gathering was concerned, and and how it was that, that you were introduced to to this weird thing called Star League or, or whatever it was when it first it became a thing? Like, what what are your main memories from from, from yeah. that time? Uh, well, I was actually working. I was working for the Sun Herald um, for one year. Uh, in 1994, uh, when when Super League was sort of, um, you know, there was obviously a lot of talk around and a few stories being written that something was going on in this area mm. and that it was going to become real. I mean, you know, and no one was too sure how serious that was at that stage. And just by chance, at the end of that year, I actually went back to the Australian newspaper for the second time uh, covering rugby league there. So when the Super League war broke, 
on April 1, I think it was in terms of uh, the news getting out that they'd signed, um, news and had signed a heap of players. Hmm. Um, I was coming up for the Australian and it was a, you know, it was a, a frenzy, that's for sure. It was, um, it was like the story was changing not every week or every day, but every hour a lot of the time. There was so much happening in terms of developments because it really was a war between uh, the Super League and, and the ARL as it was then with um, Ken Arthur and John Clowell and that side of it. And I guess uh, News Limited and John Rebo, etc. Yeah. And, and the Super League side. So it was, like I say, uh, it was almost like it would be a perfect story for now, actually, with, with what, what we've got now with this 24-hour news cycle, you know what I mean? It's, it's, uh, and the hunger for, uh, for, for new news all the time. People, you know, like it's such a turnover of news. Something happens and three hours later it's like it's old news. It's <laughs> done to death in every way possible with, uh, in newspapers, the internet and, and everything else. So, as I say, back then, if, if, it was, if the media was like it was now, they would, would have loved Super League because it was just ever-changing and there was, the, the stories uh, were coming out all the time. And it was, it was a little bit like you could almost um, get away with, with uh, taking a few risks in terms of what you knew was actually right or not because even if you were wrong, things were get, something was going to happen anyway soon enough to take the spotlight off whatever that aspect of it was. But, yeah. And the other thing was, um, because it was a, 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 such a massive story, uh, there was obviously a lot of co- competition for stories that were happening with Super League. So it was, a, it was, like I say, it was dead set frenzy at the time in, in, in terms of trying to cover it and, and cover it well and not get beaten on stories or, or try to get uh, a scoop yourself. Um, yeah. So it, it, it was a fascinating time and it, like it was one of those times that journalists live for I guess because it was a, a great story that was just going on and on and on yeah and you wouldn't have even had to have hunt for too much would you because it was just fall, falling in your lap you would have been you, you would have had people feeding you things get this message out there that this is happening and and you know this player's doing this and uh, you know we've got one up on the other team that sort of thing yeah yeah it would, would have been yeah, journalist dream <laughs> Yeah, well, obviously, like you say, there was, um, you know, you had two sides and they're look, looking to get um, the best, uh, to be depicted the best way, their side. So, yeah, I mean, you know, like you, you were talking to people from both sides and getting stories from both sides and um, and they were only too willing to help if they thought it was going to assist in terms of <laughs> getting on top in the war as we called it yeah exactly yeah and, and you mentioned um how it w- how well it would suit today's media environment like wh- what do you make of today's media um is it is it something that you're able to, to keep up with and see it as a, as a real challenge or is it something that's intimidating like wh- what are your thoughts well i guess it's um it's, it's it's difficult for a lot of uh people involved in sport to to um understand and, and deal with the media these days because it's so widespread um, and, and to be honest a lot of people um, you know call themselves journalists or media when they're not really trained to do that and they might be working for a, a website or whatever it's like sometimes you, you do a blog or you write a blog or whatever and you call yourself a journalist it's not it's not like it was when I was doing it where we were thoroughly trained in everything that we did and had, and had an appreciation for um 
understanding what was you know right and what was the wrong way to go about it um like it, it's as i say that you, you know obviously you know yourself and, and and anyone else that it's it's websites and uh and you know all of the tv and pay tv and newspapers and everything else that's um just increased the size of the media enormously um and as i say not everyone's trained to do it properly but it becomes a a, a, an enormous fight for, for stories and, and sometimes people jump in a bit earlier than they should in terms of um, you know trying to break something because it's so competitive and, and, and people can make mistakes that way mm. uh, you know but like uh, it, it's, it's it's a difficult time for, for someone learning to be a journalist I guess because they have to try to to figure out the right way of, of going about it and hopefully they're you know they're getting a lot of guidance in at least in some areas in terms of the actual people playing sport uh, it's, it's difficult for them because well they're covered everywhere aren't they and they have to yeah. get um, used to dealing with different people and things uh, being written about them in uh, on, on on the internet or blogs or whatever that they don't um, agree with or you know or think are unfair or whatever it, it's you can waste a lot of time and energy uh, blowing up about things um, so you really got to pick your arguments in in that respect if you want to complain about anything that's been written or said about you but as I say it's um it's such a big industry these days that it's hard to keep up with anything anyway oh. with everything anyway rather oh that, that's true isn't it yeah well said well said and um just one more uh, question before we let you go um what's your prediction um for the future of rugby league like what's next for, for the game do you think what, what can you see on the horizon being big issues and and yeah. general directions of, of where the game's where the game is headed Oh, it's a it's a it's a very good question. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're dealing they're dealing with the same issues that they've been dealing with. Well, if you want to go back to it, pre Super League. Yeah. I mean, Super League was all about um, well, not all about obviously. It was mostly about uh, creating a a competition for a for a pay TV uh, organisation. <laughs> but a, a lot of the concept uh, had had some you know. Uh, was very clever in terms of making it, um, a, you know, decreasing the number of teams and, and particularly the number of teams in Sydney and making it uh, condensing the quality of the, um, you know, of the players that were involved. So, say you had 10 teams, uh, uh, you know, like uh, each team was going to be better, basically, than it is if you're going to have 16 teams as we do now. I mean, I, I don't know if... If uh, it's hard to tell what the NRL wants to do about um, expansion because they seem to change tack a lot on that aspect of it. But yeah. the same problem that um, the games always had is still there, and that's that there's you know there really are too many teams in Sydney um, trying to get a slice of the uh, sponsorship dollar and the and the crowds and and everything else. Uh, it's a sixteen team competition and if they expand it to, to 18 or so, well I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced that the quality is there they'll fill the teams, there's no doubt about that yep. but I'm not convinced uh, that it won't have a weakening effect slightly at least on the overall competition and, and that will get, uh, we'll end up with a couple of stragglers, real stragglers at the bottom 
of the competition. Um, but having say, saying that, I think the salary cap in general has been great for league because it levels the competition up to a large degree and we get a lot of different winners of it in the end. Um, I think, I think uh, expansion is something that's you know certainly worth considering. I mean, they call it the National Rugby League, but there's no team in 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 Perth or or South Australia. Or, um, so you know, it's really an Eastern Seaboard game. I guess um, I'd like to see expansion, but I don't think there's much point adding to the number of teams in the competition at this stage. It'd be best if a couple of Sydney teams went, but They've never been uh, able to or willing to really push the envelope on squeezing teams out. They're going to have to let them die by natural uh, natural attrition if that's going to happen, and and uh, you know not not get into those situations where they lend clubs millions of dollars to keep them going and that sort of thing. If they if they can't survive, then you know they probably should wither on the vine. But all of these things are going to take a long time. I, yep. I don't know what the answer is in terms of making things happen quickly but I think we're going to be left with the status quo for a while yet before <laughs> anything does happen yeah so um, Sharks and Manly fans can, can rest easy for a while it, it well, it's, always a good, it's always a good story when you know, expansion yeah. comes up and then everyone's writing and, and commentating on which teams are going to go and why right. they should go and everything like that. I mean, it just storm, it just stirs up trouble and, and creates interest and gets people writing, uh, sorry, reading newspapers and, and listing to the radio and, or TV and everything else. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's, that's the merry-go-round. But, I mean, in terms of act, something actually happening, yeah. like, we've been waiting a long time for something like that to happen. So, I, th- I think, I don't think anything is going to happen in the next uh, little while. It'll be a while longer. Uh, yeah, for, uh, you know, you, you, your thoughts on, on rugby league and, and sports journalism. Uh, you're a true legend and, and veteran um, of the craft and uh, just want to thank you very much again for, for being on the show well mate those are very kind words <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate the sentiments mate it's always good to talk about um, about you know the profession because it is a, a great one when you at the end of the day and, and um, I, I was lucky enough as I say to work in a golden age of newspapers uh, starting in the late 70s and through the 80s and uh, into the 90s a, a bit as well I mean it's not the same now but it's still it's still something worth persevering with um, if if you want to be, you know, involved in a in a great industry. It beats working anyway, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, God, yeah.